I'm going to talk to you today from 2 Kings chapter 6. I'm going to read the first seven verses, 2 Kings chapter 6, verses 1 to 7. If you have a Bible, you're welcome to turn there. 2 Kings chapter 6, verse 1. It says this, Now the sons of the prophets said to Elisha, See, the place where we dwell under your charge is too small for us. Let us go to the Jordan and make each of us get their log. And let us make a place for us to dwell there. And he answered, Go. Then one of them said, Be pleased to go with your servants. And he answered, I will go. So he went with them. And when they came to Jordan, they cut down trees. But as one was felling a log, his axe head fell into the water. And he cried out, Alas, my master, it was borrowed. Then the man of God said, Where did it fall? He showed him the place, he cut off a stick, and threw it in there, and made the iron float. And he said, take it up. So he reached out his hand and took it. Let's pray together as we just go and focus on the Bible, and just ask God to speak to us today. Father, we thank you for every person here. We thank you that if we are here with a lot of faith or a little faith, it doesn't change the fact that you are good. And so we open our hearts and our lives to your goodness, and we pray in the next few moments you will speak to us and speak through me, and that something of Jesus will be revealed in the next few moments that we spend together. Thank you for the privilege of opening your scriptures, your Bible, and we thank you that this is not just for us to gain more information, but that through this we will see Jesus. And I thank you that when we see Jesus, our lives are never the same. Thank you that when we see Jesus, our sicknesses are healed. When we see Jesus, our needs are met. When we see Jesus, there is fresh vision and momentum for the future. And so I pray for every person here that we will not leave the way we came in. We thank you for your angels that are released on assignment to strengthen and to bring encouragement and strength to us. And let that happen even as I am speaking today. In Jesus' name, amen. I want to talk to you today from this story, and it's a very short story. The story goes like this. Back in the day, there was people called prophets who used to govern the things that concern a country. And what they would do is they would get apprentices to join their team so that they can teach and train other prophets on how to do what they're doing, to be like what they're doing. And throughout the Bible, from Genesis to Revelation, you will find that in the economy of God or in the language of God, God doesn't really talk in the language of managers managing staff. He always talks in the language of fathers raising sons or fathers raising daughters or fathers raising children. And so even back in the day, if prophets would come to a senior prophet and be an apprentice, they wouldn't be called staff, they would be called sons. So that's why you see here in verse 1, it says, The sons of the prophet said to Elisha, The place where we dwell under your charge is too small for us. So this is what would happen. Many people who felt like, oh, you know what? I have a call. I feel like I'm called to be a prophet. I'm going to leave my house and I'm going to stay with Elisha maybe for a year or two years for however long Elisha suggests they're going to live together and then learn together and be instructed together and practice together. And so the sons of the prophets or all these apprentices would come together and they would live with somebody who was a senior figure in a particular location and they would just learn the trade. And it got to a place, it looks like Elisha was quite popular or it was at the time when Israel was going through a revival maybe and lots of people were feeling called to be prophets. 
one of the students, one of the sons, comes up to Elijah and says, Do you know what? This program is good. I'm glad we're an apprentice. But this house that we've got, that this place that we're all living together, it's far too small for us. There's way too many of us. So here's the plan. Let's relocate to another house. Let's go to the River Jordan. And at the River Jordan, by the River Jordan, there's lots of trees. We'll all go and cut down a tree in that way that we'll have enough timber and we'll take all of that timber and we'll build another house. Good plan, right? Good idea. I would rather be stuck with a problem because of a good thing happening than a problem because a bad thing is happening, you know? So Elisha had a good problem going and the good problem was his school was overflowing. There was just not enough room there for people to stay. That's a good problem to have. And so he said, fine, let's do it. You go and build another house and we will relocate from here to a house near the River Jordan because there's lots of timber there, lots of trees there. So one of the students, one of the sons of the prophet says to Elijah, okay, we're going to do that, but we're not going unless you're coming with us. So Elisha says, fine, I'll go with you too. So Elisha and all his school of prophets, his sons of prophets, go to the Jordan River and they start cutting down trees one by one. And as they're cutting down trees with an axe, one of them, as he's chopping down a tree, the axe head falls off the axe and it falls into the Jordan River. You must remember this is not a lake. This is a river. This is a big river and it's gone now. And he cries out and says, Master, I'm gutted. This axe that I'm using that's currently somewhere down in the riverbed, it was borrowed. So Elisha says, no problem. Where did it fall? He shows him where it fell. And the Bible says Elisha took a knife or some sort of instrument, cut a stick, and then threw it into the river, and it made this iron come to the surface. The man reached out and took it. That's the the story. And today, I want to talk about growth problems, growth problems. Everybody wants more of something good in their life. And if you do not want more, you've got to ask that God gives you a desire to be ambitious. Can I just say, ambition is not a bad thing. In fact, in a world where before sin had entered and Adam and Eve were perfect with no sin, this is what it says. God created the entire world in six days. On the seventh day, he rested. And guess what? The first thing God says out of that place of rest is go, multiply, subdue the earth, have dominion, and do all the work that I've called you to do. And in fact, I'm thinking... That's good for you to say because you're resting and you're saying to Adam, go do all the work. And I have to say, in the new covenant, in the new understanding of Jesus' finished work, it does not make you lazy. It does not make you go, you know what, God has done everything. All I have to do is rest. And sometimes that word can be confusing because we think that means sitting down, taking it easy, putting our feet up. God rested on the seventh day and that was when the work started. That's when Adam started naming all the animals. That's when he started tending to the garden. That's when he had to start multiplying, having dominion, subduing the earth. You think you have a big task in your hand? Imagine the task Adam was faced with. He had to subdue the whole earth. Imagine receiving that instruction and going, that's great, but you're resting. 
Because in the New Testament, in the New Covenant, all of our work is born out of rest. And if you will truly understand the finished work of God, it will make you more ambitious, not less. It will make you more hardworking, not less. It will make you a bigger go-getter, not less. Because the rest of God is not the license for you to say, Oh, God's going to take care of everything. I'm going to put my feet up because it all depends on God. No, that's not what rest means. Rest means you work from the place of knowing that everything that is needed for your life is already complete and given in Jesus Christ. So you don't strive for it. You've received the rest and out of that place you now go, multiply, have dominion, subdue the earth, do the work that God has got for you in your hands. So the rest in biblical terms is not laziness. Rest in biblical terms is actually greater ambition than you could ever have before. And maybe just before I get into what I want to talk about, I just feel some of you just need to reset your thinking on ambition, not as a bad word, ambition as a good word. In fact, in the New Testament, Paul says it this way. He says, my ambition is to preach Christ in places that have never preached. And he pushed every boundary possible. He went through every pain possible. He pushed through every pain barrier possible. He pushed through every suffering possible. In fact, the Bible says in one place, Paul says, I work hard, so hard with the supernatural energy that God supplies supplies in me. Why do you need supernatural energy? He needs supernatural energy because he had actually run out of natural energy and now he was resting and relying on supernatural energy to go and do all the work God had for him. And so can I just at the very outset break every mindset that says the rest of God is a permission for you to be lazy. No, the rest of God is a permission for you to work harder than you've ever worked, have more ambition than you've ever had, have more vision than you've ever had to stretch forth, to Go forth, multiply, to dominate, subdue the earth and do the work God has got for you. And so that is a good desire. He says, hey, let's go and build us a new place, a bigger place. And some of you maybe, even before I'm getting into the story, and I just feel that for some of you, you really need to get to a place where you're asking God for more. There was an evangelist called D.L. Moody. And he said these words, he said, asking big honors God. Asking big honors God. Asking big honors God. You see, when somebody comes to me and says, or when my son who is five year old, he comes to me and he says, he says, dad, can you fix this? What he is saying is, I can't do it. But when I look at you, there is something about your greatness that I perceive that you can do what I cannot do. And sometimes he comes to me with impossible tasks and says, can you fix this? And I say, I'm sorry, that one is a bit too hard because it's way too shattered for me to fix. But every time you go to somebody else to say, can you fix this? You're actually in that request implying the greatness of the person you're asking. And some of us do not worship God properly because we don't pray big enough prayers. We don't pray bold enough prayers. We are not ambitious enough because we have have a tiny image of who our God is and a tiny image of what God is able to do. My Bible says this, he is able to do immeasurably more than you can ever ask or ever imagine. Now, if he can do immeasurably more than you can ask and he can do immeasurably more than you can imagine, why aren't you asking and why aren't you imagining? Imagination and asking is a good thing. 
ambition is a good thing. Having great imagination of what God could do with your life is a good thing. Asking God to do great things in your life is a good thing. And if you have settled for less by somehow you being convinced that the rest of God means being just lazy and not having an ambition or a drive in life, I want to say to you that is not Christianity. That is not what Jesus made you to do. If that was the case, He would have taken you into heaven so you can rest forever with Him. But the reason you are here on earth is because there is a plan and a purpose and you've got to strain every nerve to go forward, not from the place of striving in order to gain the significance of God, but because you've already gained the acceptance and you've already gained the significance of God. You go forth then and do all the work God has called you to do. Jesus, when He started His ministry, started out with these words, where heavens were open and the Father spoke to Him and said, This is my Son, in Him I am well pleased. Jesus hadn't yet preached a sermon. He hadn't yet healed the sick. He hadn't yet performed a miracle. He hadn't even died on the cross yet. But before he did anything, he heard the approval of God. Some of us are waiting for the approval of God one day when God will come to you and say, well done, good and faithful servant. I want to say to you, I don't live like that. I live out of the approval of God. I know my father has already told me, well done, good, you're faithful. I've approved of you. Everything you have, I have. Everything that is mine is yours. And out of the approval of the heavenly father, Jesus then went on tirelessly from town after town, village after village, making disciples, preaching the gospel, raising the dead, healing the sick, performing miracles, preaching about the kingdom, dying on the cross. Why? Not to gain the approval of God. He already had the approval of the father, but the approval of the father launches you into a life of ambition and a life of more. So I want to challenge your mindset today in case you're just sitting there thinking, well, it's all about God and it's not about me. Can I just say to you, you are in this world just as Jesus is. You are in this world just as is. The Bible says this, as he is, so are you in the world. And you know what that means? That means you are 100% divine and you are 100% human. You are 100% divine and you are 100% human. Jesus was the child of God and he was the son of David. He was 100% God and he was 100% human. And some of us, when we become followers of Jesus Christ, we become so heavenly minded that we are of no earthly good because we say it's all about God. Actually, my friend, it's all about God 100% of the time and it's also all about you 100% of the time until you have ambition and strain every nerve out of the place of rest to pursue what God has got for you. You will never be in a right understanding of what the finished work of Jesus means. The Bible says this in the New Testament that says until the time of John the Baptist the kingdom of God suffered violence but the violent take it by force that means there's something of an inner violence that should be in us to say hey this is what God has got for me and if this is not coming into my hand I'm going to do whatever it takes to grab it to take hold of it to pray to stretch for it to ask for guidance to ask for wisdom to go for it because when you do that it honors the God who has put the deposit of the Holy Spirit in you. Like Peter said a moment ago, there's no point in having a deposit if you're not making a withdrawal. 
And the Bible says this, that God has made a deposit in you, that even before the foundations of the world, he recreated you in Christ Jesus for good works. That means there are things in you that he has created you to do and created you for. And if you are not pursuing that, if you're not single-minded on that, if you're not focused on that, if you're not focused on every opportunity that the church offers you, your friends offer you, your daily life offers you to press on for more, then there is something of a mind renewal that you need where you say, God, show me the right understanding of what it means to rest in you. Because resting in God is not laziness. Resting in God is actually godly ambition. So these men had a godly ambition because the place they were living was too small. And they said, let us go and build a bigger one. So they all went. Elisha's going with them. They're by the river Jordan and they start cutting some, down some trees. And uh, the axe then goes and falls in the water. In the culture that they existed at the time, you would think, well, why is that a big problem? If you lose an axe, you know, just go to the shop and get another one or go to the irons, you know, go to, to the people who make weapons. Just say, hey, listen, I lost an axe. Can you get another one? It's not a big deal. In that culture, when you lost something that you borrowed from somebody else, it was not just a matter of the fact that you lost it. It was also a matter of shame. You had to then go and apologize to them that they'd lost the axe. And there's one of those things that you do and you think, man, I can never reverse this. I can replace this, but I can never reverse this. And I wonder if there are people here where in your history you have had godly ambition and you have tried for more. And you've been in this place which was small and it felt a bit uncomfortable because when it's, when it's small you're rubbing off on each other. And, 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 and you just want some personal space because when you don't have personal space... It feels uncomfortable. So you think, oh God, let's, let's make some more space, personal space. And, and that's a good thing. And when, when, you, when, you, when you try to, to achieve that, I wonder if some of you have got to a place where you thought, man, I've tried for more before. And do you know what? It went horribly wrong. I've tried trusting God for more before. But oh my goodness, you don't want to ask me about my story when I, I, I believed. And so you know what some of us do? We bury that dream. We park it behind us somewhere, way beyond. And we get busy with all sorts of other things and hope that somehow the disappointment of us trying for more, but then things going pear-shaped is not really, is not really bothering our mind. I wonder if you're here today and whether some dreams in your life need resurrecting. I wonder if you're here today and certain dreams need resurrecting. I wonder if you're here today and like this man, you were full of ambition once upon a time. You liked the fact that you wanted more and you go there and you try for more and things go horribly wrong. And I wonder if you're here because sometimes the devil can even convince you that it was not the will of God. Because if it was the will of God, why did the axe fall? If it was the will of God, why did the accident happen? If it was the will of God, why did I get rejected? If it was the will of God, why did things go wrong? If it was the will of God, why didn't things happen? And so sometimes we can come to the conclusion of what is God and what is not God based on the result of what has happened. But I want to say to you, you do not decide on what is God and what is not God based on what happened. You decide on what is God and what is not God by the renewing of your mind. And if you are here today and something or someone has convinced you 
you to say, remain little, remain in your box, don't break out of it. This is all that is meant for you. One day you will die alone. You will die the way you are. You will die lonely. You will die bitter. You will die untalented with no opportunities because that is God's will for you. You will die sick. You will die poor. You will die unappreciated. You will die dishonored because that is the will of God for you because you've tried it before and it didn't work. I want to break that lie from your mind. That is not the voice of God. That is the voice of the devil and that is the voice of your pain. But God wants you to regain your cutting edge today and cause you to dream again and say, in the past you may have tried for more and it might not have turned out the way you expected, but will you believe God to have a go again? Because you've got to. You've got to. You've got to. I love the question that Elisha asked. He says, tell me, where did it fall? Where did the axe fall? I mean, what use is it to know where the axe fell? It's not a lake, it's a river. So it's not just stagnant water, it's, it's a torrent. So probably the axe is, is, got, is nowhere near where it fell. It's probably, the torrent has taken it elsewhere. It's, it's somewhere. It says, where, where did it fall? And the man had to show Elisha, where did it fall? And I wonder if God, by his Holy Spirit, is asking you the same question. Hey, hey, can you expose to me, can you tell me again, your memory of the last time it went pear-shaped? Because because it's hidden somewhere in the background. You've, You've parked it on the back burner because... You don't want to hope again because just, just what if you're disappointed again? What if you hope again and you're disappointed again? What if you try again and you're disappointed again? What if you pray again and it doesn't work again? What if, you, what if you stretch every nerve this time and it goes even worse? But God is saying to you today, you're not meant to live hiding those areas. Expose those very areas to God where your memory of things going wrong is not hidden in the background, but is exposed to a God who has always seen the end from the beginning. There's not a single time in your life where God has looked at your life and went, oops, I didn't see that coming. Nothing catches him by surprise. He knows the end from the beginning and still chose you. He knows the end from the beginning and still loved you. He knows the end from the beginning and still had those promises for you. He knows the end from the beginning and still decided to release that prophecy over you. He knows the end from the beginning and knew every decision you were going to make, every mistake you were going to make, every decision people were going to make that's going to affect you personally, and He still chose you. And God is saying to you today, will you expose the place that is a memory right now of a thing that went wrong? Because unless you're willing to expose those memories, they will constantly be in your background. And guess what? Sooner or later, life will get tiring. You know why? Because you might not be carrying a physical load on your back. And so when people see you, they will not see you with a load on your back. But this is an invisible load. The load of regret. The load of shame. The load of, oh, it didn't work out again. The load of, I tried 
Probably it was not the will of God. Maybe the will of God is for me to be poor. Maybe the will of God for me is to be sick. Maybe the will of God is for me to go through pain. Maybe God is teaching me a lesson by sending me through suffering. And you can carry these loads one after the other. Sooner or later, they will tie you out. They will wear you out. Sooner or later, you will go to sleep, have eight, nine hours of sleep at night. Wake up and wonder why you're still tired after having a good night's of rest. You know why? Because you are carrying burdens you're not meant to carry. You're carrying loads you're not meant to carry. You're walking around with weight and disappointment you're not meant to carry. And today God wants to speak to you and says, stop hiding it. Expose the place of your disappointment. Expose the place where you stretched and it didn't work out. Elisha says, show me, show me. Publicly he says, show me. Where did the axe fall? Expose it. <laughs> and guess what Elisha does next? He goes over to a tree somewhere, a twig somewhere, and he cuts it off. In other words, he does the same action that caused the axe to fall in the first place. It's a memory of of what you did before that got you here in the first place. And followers of Jesus Christ can become such experts at managing your environment, managing your friends, managing everyone, Making sure everybody is at arm's length so don't get to know the real you. Because you know that certain things trigger a memory of what happened before. You're not meant to go through life hiding from every trigger in your life. That is not an overcoming life. If that is all the blood of Jesus did for you, then there is nothing powerful about the blood of Jesus. All you needed was psychology. But what I'm here to tell you is the blood of Jesus has come to cleanse and renew and reset your conscience from every memory so that you can look at every trigger that reminds you of a past incident that went horribly wrong and look at that incident eyeball to eyeball and say this does not affect me anymore because in God and in the blood of Jesus and in the new creation realities of Christ there is resurrection for me of everything that went pear-shaped I wonder how many of you are sitting here with wounds because you were a bit too ambitious you just you just had a dream a desire you went for it and it didn't actually turn out the way you thought it was meant to turn out Today I believe there's going to be a healing work that God will do or even just the angels of God being released to reprogram something in your mind where some of you need to hope again. Some of you need to pray big prayers again. Some of you need to be bold again because the answer, my friend, is not, oops, that was a bad idea. Come on, boys, let's go back to the old house. Let's go back to where it was crammed and there was no personal space. And because you see, experience taught me that that was not the will of God. I wonder what your experience has taught you, but that's not true. I wonder what sort of experience has taught you. In fact, some of us become such experts at avoiding pain that our vision for life is not more. Our vision for life is how do I avoid pain? Our vision for life is, how, how do I avoid pain? How do I avoid the next obstacle so you don't take risks? You don't, you don't do anything because one experience burnt you so bad, you come back to the small house. Come on, boys. Can you imagine how bad the guy who came up with the idea is feeling at this moment? I'm so sorry, boys. My idea. 
Let's go back to the place where we were all crowned. No personal space, because stretching for more is not a good idea. You know how we know it was a God idea? Because when the sons of the prophets speak to Elisha and says, can you come with us? He says, yes. God will never give his yes to a bad idea. That's how I know asking for more is a good idea. It honors God. He cuts the stick and throws it in the place where the axe has fallen. And what I love about the story and reminds me of a personal prophecy that I got many, many years ago. As I was in a place where I, my axe had fallen. And I remember thinking, how in the world do I repair this story? I mean, what's the solution here? If it was a splinter, I could have repaired it. If the axe head had lost a bit of bluntness, maybe I could have sharpened it. But if my axe has flown all the way into the Jordan River and the torrent has swept it, how in the world do I take my next step? What, what is my next step? What do I do from here? He hears the answer. He hears the answer. And this answer is going to be a personal prophecy to many of you. You have to hold on tight. Here's the answer. What you cannot do, God will do for you. Because this is what Bible says. Not only did this axe head float to the surface, actually it floated all the way within arm's reach. The Bible says he reached out and took it. And I want to prophesy to some of you, you are in a season where your dreams are within your arm's reach. You're in a season where the things that you thought was lost is coming back and it is within arm's reach. It's not just God saying, hey, I'll make the whole thing float to the surface and I want you to jump into a river that's going fast and quick and you go swim and somehow get it because that sometimes is daunting in itself. Some of us don't even want to hear the next plan and the next prophecy from God. Why? Because it's so daunting. You're going, please don't tell me the next thing God wants me to do because I don't even know how to do the last one. It's not about you doing, it's about you trusting. And when you trust and when you expose your hurt, when you expose your disappointment when you yield what is going on behind all of those layers that you have piled on so people see a modified version of you not the real version of you you don't have to do that in the presence of God because he knows what is below layer one and he knows what is below layer two he knows what is below layer 30 and he knows what is below layer 40 he knows what happened when you were 35 he knows what happened when you were five he knew what happened even before you were born every detail of your life is exposed to him what God is asking you to do today is rather than go from pillar to post and manage your pain will you come back into the presence of God and tell him God this is where my disappointment is this is where my pain is this is where my discouragement is this is where I hoped for more and it did not work out and I don't know why it hasn't worked out if you will expose your pain then there is a miracle waiting for you where you can reach out and grab it but if you will run away from that, and if you think, I'm going to settle for less, let's go back to the small house. Actually, let's go back and do something else because maybe I'm not meant to be a prophet. And so you go and form friendship circles and you have coffee and you fill your diary with things to do and just take on jobs. Why? Because you're running away from the one thing you're meant to address. Where does your disappointment lie? 
Where are your pains? Where are your hopes? And for some of us, we have to process that for two years. For some of us, we have to ongoingly process that for 25 years. But I want to say to you, the safest place you can be is in the presence of God. The safest place you can be is exposing your wounds and your scars and your discouragement to God. And if you will run away from that, and if you think filling your time with everything else is going to somehow solve the problem, it is not. You will not accomplish what God's meant for you to. So stay in the presence of God. You can trust Him. What is it about your heart that you need to expose to God today? I love that verse. He said, take it. So he reached out his hand and took it. I believe your cutting edge is coming back and it is within your hand's reach. I believe your dreams are coming back and it is within your hand's reach. I believe your disappointments are going to be healed and it is within your hand's reach. I believe you will dream again and it is within your hand's reach. It is not going to be further than you can ever imagine. Actually, it is going to be within your hand's reach. You know what? I love verse 6. It says this, The man of God said, Where did it fall? And he showed him the place. He cut off his stick and threw it in there. And he made the iron float. Can we read verse 6 in the King James Version? It says, The man of God said, Where fell it? He shewed him the place. He cut down a stick. He cast it thither. And the iron did swim. And the iron did swim. And the iron did swim. Because if it was a lake, it just had to float. But if it was a river that had a torrent, and this little axe head had to learn the butterfly stroke, and come back within the hand's reach of this man who had lost it. How many of you believe God can make the impossible happen in your life? How many of you believe that even though the torrent is going this way, God can reverse the torrent for you, just for you? How many of you know that even though historically iron is not meant to swim, He can make it swim just for you? How many of you know God can defy gravity just for you? God can do it! Expose your hurt and your pain to Him because your cutting edge is coming back. It's coming back. It's coming back. It's coming back. I wonder what these men did with that axe after they built the new house. Do you know where it would go? It would go on the feature wall for me. And every time somebody goes, what on earth is an axe doing in your living room? Tell them, hey, let me tell you a story. God can make iron float. In fact, God can make iron swim. And there were moments where I thought all was lost. And when I looked at my future and I thought, I know what I want, but it seems beyond my hand's reach. But that's not the kingdom of God. In the New Testament, when the kingdom of God was proclaimed, it said this, repent, which means change your mind, for the kingdom of God is at hand. It's within hand's reach. God is not far over there where you can't access him, where you have to climb a mountain, go through a valley. No, 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 no. The kingdom of God is within hand's reach. How many of you believe that your future, your good future is within hand's reach? 
It's not going to be a place where you strive to get to somehow you think, oh, impossible. Impossible. How on earth is that iron going to come back into my hand? Well, I don't know. But if in the old covenant, iron can swim under the new covenant, under the blood of Jesus, I believe God can do exceedingly more than he can ever ask or imagine. And God is going to release some miracles that are unusual, miracles that are never been seen before, miracles and stories that have never been recorded in history before. In fact, if people were not witnessing it, they would not even believe it. But you are going to have a story publicly where publicly where there's been public shame and public embarrassment before God is going to repair that public shame and public embarrassment by giving you public honor and public validation and a public miracle how many of you believe for that for Beacon Church this is the season where iron is going to begin to float and swim and it's within your hand reach within your hand reach within your hand reach He reached out and took it. Reached out and took it. If this word speaking to you, do this with your hand. I've held my phone in my hand, but if you were to hold it, what what is it? What is the it in your hand? For a man, it was an axe. But for you, what is it? What is it that you're reaching out? What are you trying to grab? And can you picture it in your mind coming to you? swimming to you against the tide against the torrent against gravity against all known principles of science and economics it's swimming to you swimming to you swimming to you it's swimming to you against all known against all known patterns blessing is swimming to you Against all known patterns. A miracle that has never been recorded even in history before. Swimming to you. It's within your hand's reach. But what are you grabbing? What's in your hand right now? What is it? Tell him. Tell him. Because you know what? Whatever you're trying to grab is the same thing that you're painful of. Or whatever is you're trying to grab is the very thing that you're afraid of whatever you're trying to grab is the thing that caused you pain before but the kingdom of God is at hand it's at hand it's at hand it's at hand in the Bible there is this principle and the principle is this if you can see it you can have it God had to teach a man called Abraham this lesson one day He was like this, look at me, in a tent, saying, I'm old, I have nothing, I have nobody. God promised me lots of promises and nothing has happened. God came to him one day, Abraham said, come out of your tent. He said, look at the stars. You can count them, you can count the children you're going to have. You see, sometimes you've got to see it before you can see it. God had to take him out of the tent to show him what it looks like. And when you're reaching out your hand to grab it, you've got to see it before you see it. What is it that you see today? What is it that you see about your future today? Because if you can't see it, you can't see it. See it in order to see it. Say it in order to see it. Believe it in order to see it. It's within your hand's reach.